So this evening, I would like to continue a little uh, to look at feeling tones because I think it's very vital in terms of uh, meditation in daily life, in terms of mindfulness in daily life, to try to be aware of them. Of course, they are quite subtle, so I don't know how much you found today. Because personally, it took me many years to understand what I was trying to find. Because for a long time, I was trying to find something, and I could not find anything. And then finally, I kind of understood the idea. And so now, I uh, think it's very important. But as a practice, it's not easy to do, because on a retreat like this, I would say generally, uh, the feeling tone are not that kind of uh, very vivid. And I would say in daily life, it's a little bit more obvious. So the first thing I'd like to, to quote is a, a short text by a, a nun, and that piece was considered to be important enough that she was kept in the Pali Canon, uh, you know, as valuable as the uh, teaching of the Buddha. So it's kind of a little gold medal here. And so what she says, she was actually speaking to a lay person, about Vedana, about feeling tone, that as long as a pleasant feeling tone continues, it is pleasant. When it stops, it can become unpleasant. As long as an unpleasant feeling tone continues, it is unpleasant. When it stops, it can become pleasant. And this one is, is interesting because they did some research and they realized that people preferred a sharp, short pain to a medium, longer pain. Because when it stops, it's so pleasant not to have it anymore. And because it's short. So that's uh, an interesting one. Like when we stop having a headache, so having a stomachache, for a week you're so aware you don't have it. And it becomes pleasant not to have it, and then you forget you don't have it, and then it becomes normal. So it's kind of an interesting one. Then the third one is, if you don't understand neutral feeling tone, it becomes unpleasant. If you understand neutral feeling tones, it can become pleasant. So that one is kind of, in a way, ambivalent. And it has to do with, as uh, Chris was saying, about clear knowing. Because we have like a neutral, nothing is happening. And nowadays, especially also with uh, the romantics, from the 18, 1700, 1800, the Romantics, they were really, really against neutral feeling tone. You know? <laughs> you know, they wrote books about it. You know, this is bad. 
And nowadays, too, uh, there is, I mean, neutral feeling toward as a bad press. I can see when my little uh, young niece was smaller and I had to uh, take care of her, and she would have crises of boredom. I am bored! <laughs> she would shout and cry, and, and I was like, ooh. <laughs> okay. And so it's very interesting, neutral. Because as Chris was saying, it could be very restful. It could be very peaceful. And often it's associated with the beginning of equanimity. So that's an interesting one to look at. To me, when I finally understood the feeling tone, I discovered the neutral feeling tone. And the enjoyment, actually, of the neutral feeling tone in a quiet way, of course. Nothing too exciting. But it's, it's very interesting. You are at home, nothing is happening. Hmm. I mean, you can think, I am bored, I am boring, my life is boring, what's the point? I mean, you can quickly go from it's neutral, it's boring, to something really unpleasant. Personally, when nothing is happening, I think, hmm, nice. <laughs> Nothing bad is happening, this is already one thing. And it's restful. And there is, again, movement within it. We're not stuck. We can do different things or not, or rest, or whatever. And what's also uh, interesting about the neutral feeling tone, and I think that's really the discovery, the gift of the neutral feeling tone, neither pleasant nor unpleasant, is about what I would call baseline. The thing if you think that your baseline, you see, we have often what I would call an imaginary abstract baseline of what should be, you know, what is a baseline in terms of feeling tone. And often we think the baseline is number five pleasant. Anything underneath is Number five, yes. And then you can go up, but only by five. But if the baseline is neutral, you can go up ten, go down ten. And so personally I see that in a way you have the baseline and a lot of our life is relatively neither pleasant nor unpleasant, neutral. And then we go on and then come back to the baseline. You might go down, come back to the baseline. And sometimes also you have this imaginary minus five baseline, and that's very painful because it's kind of really, in order to come back to something a little pleasant, it's kind of hard work. And so certain conditions sometimes lower the baseline, certain other conditions up the baseline. But I think it can be useful for us to kind of recognize in a way, the baseline as more neutral, and then as the, the movement, and also to look if we have, because often, and to me that's why in a way it's also very important to be aware of pleasant feeling tone. This mindfulness is not just about you know, I must not feel pleasant feeling tone. It's not about that. I must only feel neutral feeling tone. It's not about that. It's actually 
when it's pleasant, number two, number five, number ten, whatever it is, be very aware of it. Don't take it for granted. Just really be with it. That's what I'll talk more about tomorrow morning, but really experience a pleasant feeling tone. Recognize a pleasant feeling tone. Knowing, of course, at some point it will pass. Like all things, it's impermanent. But while it's there, I mean, you might as well enjoy it. <laughs> Be aware of it. But often I feel we kind of take it a little for granted. And I think that would balance our tendency to fixate on the unpleasant feeling tone. And so, of course, in our life, there'll be unpleasant feeling tone of different types. And how can we creatively engage with them? I think this is really about that, because we have such a strong reaction to them. We amplify so quickly with them. That the thing is to, oh, okay, it's unpleasant. How can I creatively engage with the thing itself, with the condition that brought this into being? So in, in a way, not seeing it so much as a fixed thing, but as, as something which come upon condition, might change, and you could have some action on it. I mean, if you have a physical pain, you can always take a painkiller. Be careful that, you know, the fact that you're mindful doesn't mean that if it's really painful, you don't take a painkiller. It's very important. Uh, many years ago, I was teaching a retreat and I had a really bad attack of sciatica. And I had to do the sitting and I was on my own. So I sit for the 30 minutes and my leg is on fire, really, really so throbbing, I mean, everything. And I thought, I need to do something so I can last a 30 minutes with this pain. It really was painful. So then, with the, the mind, with the practice, I went into the experience. And being so aware of the heat, of the throbbing, everything. And by being that focused, that aware of the changing and everything, then actually it was bearable and the time passed quite fast, instead of seeming to be like a month. It passed quite fast. But as soon as I rang the bell and I went for a walk, I went to take a painkiller because I did not think I could continue to do this all day long <laughs> to be with this pain. So I think being with an unpleasant feeling tone doesn't mean we don't creatively engage with it in whatever way is possible, is necessary. But one of the things which I feel is very important in terms of daily life, with the feeling tone, is how relatively insidious they are. The fact that they can influence. You can have a contact which gives rise to an unpleasant feeling tone, and then Either it's going to, it can spread very fast, or either it gets associated with something in the past which will again amplify it. And that's why I think it's so important 
to become more aware of the feeling tones and how they change. Uh, a few years back, I went shopping for the sale with my mother and my sister, and we had such a nice time, and we found things for my mother, and that was wonderful. Lots of pleasant feeling tone. I come back home, and because of that pleasant feeling tone, you know, you become enthusiastic often. And I thought, wow, we bought this, let's clean the cupboard, and let's make some space. And, and I start to see my mother like, boo, it was really, you know, she's 86, and already all the shopping was like, uh, and here I am kind of, you know, changing the cupboard, and she's like, oh. and I think, uh-uh, this is not a good idea. So I stopped doing that, I rearrange everything, and then I leave her to rest, and then I go up, I leave upstairs. And then, two hours later, I found myself speaking to my husband in a very unpleasant way. And I thought, wait a minute, why am I, why am I speaking with this stone? What's going on here? He's not done anything? <laughs> this is weird. And then I retraced. So I thought, what's going on here? I feel this really, there is this unpleasant stuff. So I retraced it and I retraced it to buy this swift change from pleasant to, oh, I'm making a mistake in doing this to, hmm, unpleasant. And suddenly it spread to other things. And I think that's why it's so important to be aware of the, the feeling tone because they can spread very quickly. And so you might have some problem with somebody here. And because that creates an unpleasant feeling tone, suddenly you do something unpleasant to somebody there who has nothing to do with it. So that's why I think it's kind of quite important to become more aware of them and to also see how, what the effect of the unpleasant feeling tone is. What is it? It leads us to speak a certain way or to act in a certain way. So really to, to be aware of that, how it kind of permeates and might go to other places and the contact, the first contact itself. Then another thing with the feeling tone is a fact that sometimes we are, we are fine here. So the feeling tone is relatively neutral, maybe mildly pleasant, but we are relatively fine now. But suddenly, we imagine, what if this happened? And then we imagine something unpleasant, and just forecasting, anticipating something unpleasant in a week, in a month, in a year, and suddenly you have an unpleasant feeling to now, where the thing is not happening. That's something to, to kind of look at. Am I having a pleasant feeling tone because there is an immediate experiential contact now? Or am I suddenly in contact with something in the past which is gone? Or going into the future which has not happened? So in a way we, we kind of again spread this imaginary feeling tone to this experience. 
And the final thing about the feeling tone is something which is interesting to, to look at because I think it gives us a little bit of creativity and flexibility, is to see that the feeling tone is a natural function. You have contact, you have a feeling tone. This is just a natural functioning. We're not trying to stop having feeling tones. This is just being human. But to see that the feeling tone itself is constructed. It's very conditioned. Because often you have the impression the feeling tone is in the thing itself. And that's what the advertisement industry really understands. They really get that. You know, you see the latest uh, iPhone 25 and a half, and you think, and they present it, and you think, ooh, you know, and you think like some pleasant feeling tone is kind of like oozing out, it's kind of like kind of glowing around it, and you think, ooh, it's there. You know, so if I get the thing, then you know, this. You know, it's going to transmit me the pleasant feeling tone, which is all around it, you know. But no. I mean, unfortunately, <laughs> the pleasant feeling tone is not in the component of the iPhone 25 and a half. It's not. Possibly it's in the functioning. Possibly in the functioning. But it cannot function by itself. So it's in our relationship to it. It's in the contact with it. And then what become, it becomes interesting because you can have the same contact, same object, and you will have a different feeling tone. For example, I like ice cream in the summer. Ice cream in the summer, I have a pleasant feeling tone. But in the winter, when I see people eating ice cream, I think, and I have an unpleasant feeling too. My husband, regardless, ice cream, not very pleasant feeling too. So people always trying to kind of get him to eat ice cream. <laughs> you always have a problem trying to be polite. Should I be polite or not? You know, they, they think the pleasantness is in the ice cream itself. When the pleasantness is in you, having for whatever reason learned to like ice cream or not. I have a friend, she hates coffee. You cannot offer her even coffee in chocolate. No, 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 no. No coffee. Anytime, anyway. And most people adore coffee. So it's interesting, you have the same stuff, and it has a very, it provokes a very different feeling tone. So you have like a feeling tone due to previous history. Or you might have a feeling tone because of actual conditions, winter or summer. And so to see that the kind of the feeling tone is constructed, it very much depends on many different things. I mean, you had a wonderful example all through the week. Sometimes it was, I hope, pleasant to sit in meditation. And possibly sometimes it was not pleasant to sit in meditation, and sometimes it was neutral. So doing the same activity, and actually the feeling tone, very changeable. So just being aware of that.
that it's constructed. And now what I wanted uh, to do, let's see if I can manage to cover it. I wanted to look at what I call, and this is not an ancient teaching. Possibly one could find it here and there, but this is something I have kind of, in a way, concocted myself. So you won't find it in the ancient text. But over time of practicing, it seems to me that one could see a framework of what I call the four stages of letting go, the four stages of creative engagement. Often people, you might hear this word, let go, especially if you have Buddhist friend or mindfulness friend, you know, and, they, and you come and you say, oh, I have this, and they say, let it go. <laughs> and it generally doesn't have much effect. <laughs> so, in a way, what does it mean to let go? And often I have the impression that letting go means eradication or total dissolution. If I practice well enough, if I understand well enough, if something magical happen, then finally there will be no reactivity whatsoever. But I am not sure. So then often people say, oh, you know, it doesn't work. I still have anger, or I still have this, or I still have that. And personally, I think we have to see this letting go in four stages, but not in four linear stages, but more in spiraling four stages, that we might come back to the same stage, but in a different way, so that we're not kind of going step by step, but more there is this different, four different modality of letting go, which each have a value, because often we feel this one is a, you know, is a gold star one. Those are kind of, you know, lower rank. But for me, all of them are letting go. And I think it's very important to see that. So what are they? These four stages. So they are, I call them after, during, beginning, and before. So the first one is after. So generally, this is in connection, let's say, to some habits, mental, emotional, physical, whatever it is. And you kind of you know, get caught in the reactivity, get caught in the habits. Either you get angry or anxious or difficult or whatever it might be. And then, like all things, it stops. And suddenly, you see that it stops. Suddenly you really see, oh, I am not angry anymore. Oh, I am not anxious anymore. And this actually is a stage of letting go. Because sometimes, often, we 
we kind of so invested that we, you know, we continue with it in a kind of, kind of a lower way. Yes, but. But I think when we start to realize I am not always anxious, I am not always angry, I am not always like this, I think this is a very important moment to see, ah, it stopped. I am not feeling like that anymore. Because you're, in a way, experiencing the impermanence of it. And that's a moment of letting go. Instead of still holding on, you say, oh yeah, it's gone. And so you realize that it, you are not always the same. That, I think, is a very important knowing. It's a very important insight to experience. I can change. Think and store. And in a way, we start to... Because a lot of the time, we do things and we blind to them. Many, many years ago, when I was in a, a young nun in Korea, and one of my tasks was to explain Buddhist teaching to people who came by. And so one, and I always forgot the four of these, the five of that, and it was always a bit tricky. So here, I was trying to explain the Four Noble Truths. So there was a truth of suffering, then there was... Mm. <laughs> and then, I jumped and shouted at a monk because he was taking my persimmon. I picked them. They were my fruits. And so he's okay, he left the bucket, he left the persimmon, and he went off meekly. And then I went back to, ah, yeah, the second one, <laughs> grasping, next one, letting go, and then, you know, the number eight full path. Finally, I remembered the four. And then the guest went, and then my non-friend who was next to me said to me, did you notice? I said, notice what? <laughs> well, I finally managed to remember the four. You know, I was very happy. She said, no, no, did you notice? You shouted at the monk. Well, it's true, I shouted at the monk. That's not so good. I had done it on automatic. I had not been aware of it. And so to me, this is an important stage, this after, because we realize, oh, yeah, I was caught in this. This happened. Now it's finished, but it happened. So I would call this, in a way, in uh, some text, they say afflictions are awakening. So we're not trying to become somebody else, but we, our difficulty, from the difficulty we can understand, when they stop, we can see something. So I think not to see, to try to, to become somebody perfect, but to understand what goes on. That's really what this is about. Oh, this happened. Oh, I did this. And so I would call this stage, see and learn. Next one. Next one is during. And that one is, I would say, the most difficult. Because that one, you're in the middle of being angry, upset, whatever it is, and you're so aware of it. 
and he doesn't seem to make a difference. <laughs> you know, before at least you could enjoy it, you know. <laughs> I'm right to be, now you kind of like, you know. But I think this is also letting go, to see, oh, this is happening. And then to explore how does it feel to be angry. And to me, that was a revelation because I had a tendency to be a little fiery and everything. And finally, one day, after lots of uh, practice, I was really angry, you know, and I was cooking for a conference. And, and suddenly I saw myself, I was cutting the carrots like that, you know. And I thought, this is a little dangerous. So I stopped. And then I looked inside the body. How did it feel? And he was like, hmm. And I realized the person I'm angry with is not doing this to me. I am doing this to myself. And just being aware of it, it just went. And then I looked into the mind. And into the mind, I was going, I am right. She's wrong. I'm right. She's wrong. <laughs> And then I realized she was doing the same, but the opposite way. <laughs> and I thought, we're both right and wrong. So in a way, I think this moment during, I know it's frustrating, but at least it often helps us not to amplify. Sometimes it can help us so that it doesn't last so long. And we start to know, how does it feel? Not so much the story of it, but how does it feel? And through that, we start to creatively engage in a different way. So I would nearly say, what's the texture? What's the texture of this? <clears throat> to really know it, because often we are aware in abstraction. And in the middle, in this stage, we know it fully. How does it feel? to be upset, to be anxious, to be angry, whatever it is, how does it feel in the whole body-mind complex to really being aware of it? So I would say, I would call this know fully, embrace, in a way, what is going on. Then you have the next one, which is beginning. And here, now you start to know you start to know that you're not always like this. You start to know what are the conditions. And you start to know that actually you are not like this and suddenly something happens. Generally there is a trigger, generally there are contributing factors, and generally there are conditions. And so this is at the beginning. You start to, instead of being called after, in the middle, now, at the beginning, you start to recognize the sign. You start, oh, you start to see, like for many years ago when I was first in the beginning of my marriage, my husband would go to teach somewhere, and within three days, I was in a funk. He would phone, <laughs> so I noticed it once. No, did this twice, and then I said, wait a minute. He goes away, trigger, three days passed, condition plus contributing factor, 
And then what happened? So there must be one more. There must be like there is a condition. The condition it goes away, contributing factors three days passed, and then there is a trigger. So the next time he went, I looked. First day, nothing. Second day, nothing. <laughs> and the third day, I saw it. I saw the trigger thought. And I thought, oh, that's what does it. And then once I saw it, I decided, okay, I am not going there. So the thought has appeared, but upon the condition, the contributing factor, this is a trigger. And so I went to do something else. I went for a walk, I went to read, and the effect went. To such a degree that now I can't remember that thought, which for so many years was so powerful and so painful, because it would send me in this really dark spiral. And what it showed me is that the thought seemed so powerful. It was such a trigger. It had such a kind of reaction. But once I saw it, and I did not follow it, I just saw it at the beginning, and then I did something else, its power went. So its power was actually very fragile, though it looked so powerful when it had this impact. And that's why I would say in this stage, I would say prepare, prepare, look at the condition, how are you going to work with them? Take action, like sometimes you need to take action so you don't go a certain way, or you creatively change the groove. So I would call this stage, do something. Be careful, do something. That's what I see that stage as quite active, actually. Then you have the last stage, and it's before. And that stage, I think, is really about us, over time, developing the power of creative mindfulness, of creative awareness. When you sit in meditation here, a lot of the time you have the impression, I cannot really concentrate well because I have lots of thought or I'm feeling a little restless or there is pain. But the fact that you sit there, that you walk, that you are attentive, that you focus through the day, actually has an enormous impact in terms of the development of this power of the mindfulness. That's what we do on retreat, we develop the power of the mindfulness, the power of coming back, the power of investigating. And over time, the power will become, in a way, more and more activated. And in this stage before, is when all the conditions are in place. The condition, the contributing factor, the trigger is there. All are there. And so normally, you would go into doing whatever you do. But at that moment, something within you says, wait a minute. Could not I do something else? And this happened to me. Many years ago, I had this terrible habit 
which I, I thought it was a good habit, but I had this habit from a very young age that if somebody hurt me, I would freeze them. I would not look at them, I would not talk to them, I would just ignore them, like there was a wall, a glass wall between me and them. So when I was younger, it would last a week, and then I did meditations, so we kind of, you know, the timing decreased. <laughs> but it was still there. And so one day, one evening, uh, somebody said something to me which hurt me. And then the next day, uh, we lived in community, so I was going to go into the dining room, the kitchen, and she was there. And so normally, I would have seen the person and not actually seen the person. I would have not looked, I would have done that. And so the condition where all the, everything was there to continue with this habit. And then something within me said, wait a minute. Do you need to do this again? So it was really questioning the reaction. And then at that moment of questioning the reaction, there was an incredible fear. And then I realized why well, we don't change. We prefer the pain of the known than the unknown. And so the power of the creative awareness told me, do it. For this once, try to do something different. Really try it. So I thought, okay. I turned to the person, I smiled, and then I felt this incredible ease, this incredible peace. And then I thought, why did not I do this before? <laughs> I mean, and then the next thing was that I never did this again. I never did it again. But the reason I never did it again, because the next thing that happened was compassion. Because at that moment, I realized how painful this habit of mine, this reaction, had been for others. Before, I only looked at my pain. I had to protect myself, da 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 da. But then I saw, how painful it must have been for the people to be ignored for days. I thought, I mean, how painful. And after that, I could not do it because I was so aware of the pain of the other more than my own pain. And then when things like that happened again, I would have creative means to deal with it, creative way to address the situation instead of going into this fixing habit. So here, when we look at this, um, this stage before, it's really kind of this power. The power to see, oh, I'm going to do this. This is very familiar. But maybe I can do something different. Maybe I can do something I have never done before. And so that moment, I think, is a little mysterious. That one is a little mysterious, because you never know 
when in a way there'll be enough power of awareness to suddenly have this creative moment. I would call it really a creative moment. But I do not think that we can have each stage working for each habit. Because you might think, well, the before, that's the top stage. You know? <laughs> any of my habits, any of my reactivity, I want that. You know? But I don't think it's possible. I think we have to be careful, because in a way, not all habits and not all reactivity is equal. Some are nearly physiological. So the fact that I saw through the anger once doesn't mean that I never become angry. I think in terms of letting go, we have to look at two things. We have to look at these four stages. And that with different things, we might have been at a different stage. And each of these stages are helpful. But another thing to consider is to look at length and intensity. Like if you were angry before for a week, and now you're angry for just three days, I think this is an improvement. Or for a day, now for an hour. This is a big difference. So it doesn't mean that I don't become impatient, I don't become irritable, or I might not be a little angry. But it's very brief. It's very brief. Like some time ago, my husband was helping me with cooking. So he washed and I cooked and I was doing this nice mango mousse, delicious. So I kind of mixed it and then I poured it and then there was some left. So I needed a spatula to get the last bit of this delicious mango mousse. So I put the recipient here. I go there to get the spatula. <laughs> I come back and it's washed. And I'm, oh. So I have this moment. Oh. And the next moment I laugh. You know, it could have become, you know, a domestic. But no, I just laughed. I just, oh, very efficacious. <laughs> so in a way, it doesn't mean, I think it's very important to see that the letting go doesn't mean you don't have the experience. Because all this, in a way I would say, all our patterns, a lot of our reactivity are unskillful survival mechanisms. Survival mechanism, which at some point are maybe at some place, but is not useful anymore. But we become so used to it. And so often we're going to revert to that survival mechanism. And in a way, it's for us to learn, oh, this is not so useful anymore. But also to see that each of the emotion, like anger, etc., have a creative function. So we're not trying to eradicate anger. We're not trying to eradicate anxiety or fear or sadness. But to see that each has a function. Anger gives you energy. But if it becomes negatively habituated, then it's very destructive to yourself, to others. So it's kind of understanding 
how does it work? And if, for whatever reason, physiologically, one has lots of energy and is a little fiery, you're not going to become this utterly calm, <laughs> monk-like <laughs> behavior. No, I mean, you might come more a little in the middle, you know? So I think one has to kind of see one is not trying to change our personality. I think this is very important. We're not going to all become robots. That's not, but it's more, we become more who we can be, each in our own personal way. So often one talk about selfing and non-selfing. And so we might think, well, you know, no self, not self, you know, I must disappear. You know? And so, you know, suddenly there is just smokes on the cushion. <laughs> but it's more actually to see that I am this flow of condition. And some conditions are very similar to other people. And some conditions are very peculiar to you, to your social, historical, geographical, biological, whatever conditional reason. So in some way we're very similar, and in some way we're very different. And so the meditation is a little to help us to creatively engage with all these conditions. The one who are similar, the one who are different. So to really kind of, you know, try to cultivate this creative potential. At the same time, knowing things are unpredictable. So creatively engaging also with the unpredictability. So, that's what I wanted to say. Are there any questions or comments? Yes. Um, so uh, the question is, when you said in the space during, during the school, um, it's, it's very helpful to feel it in the body. So I, I was, was asking myself, why is this? I mean, clearly um, when you like really go into it and you feel it in the body, it somehow dissolves. But, but why? Not necessarily. We have to be careful. You know, I had to, 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 to be angry many different times until I thought, mm, now I'm really going to go into it. And then I saw it so fully that it went by itself. But not always. But often, uh, you can look at it in two different ways. One way is as information. The fact that often something happens, we react, and we generally, a lot of the time, we go into the history of it, in the commenting of it, in the meaning of it. So we, we go into the abstraction of it, instead of really, how does it feel, body, mind, and heart? So in the whole body-mind complex, to really, instead of going into the, just in the abstraction of it. I think it's interesting to kind of look at all level. How does it feel in the body? How does it feel in the mind? How does it feel in the heart? 
what we have to be careful is that sometimes by, by looking at it, sometimes it can become more intense. So then I would not do that for very long. I would just be aware of it, and then I would try more to, what is it that can help me not to amplify? What can help me to stabilize around it? Because also what you can do, that's what I do, is, you know, let's say you, something happened, you feel like, let's say you are in a committee meeting, and then suddenly, you know, not you, but somebody, two people are starting to get a little loud and a little, and you feel, you know, you can. And so here you feel, if you, you notice here, you have kind of, you know, some anxiety rising, some perturbance, it's kind of a little jiggery. And then at the same time, you can be aware of that here, and then go to a larger, uh, focusing in the body, maybe your belly, maybe your seat, and that will help you to kind of come to a stable place where you can be with this in a more spacious way. So you still feel the thing, it's not stopping, but you're not amplifying it, you're not overwhelmed by it. So I think, in a way, being aware of it, we can be aware of it in different ways. And also we have to see, being aware of it, what does that do to it? Does it seem to amplify it? Does it seem to dissolve it a little? Can I go to something more spacious around it? And so it depends a little on the condition. It also depends upon how our physiologically, our nervous system is sensitized. Because sometimes, if our nervous system is very sensitized, it's kind of like becoming aware of this sensitivity actually makes it go higher. So then sometimes to be aware of the sound or to look at something might kind of help to calm down. So, so the during, I think you can do different things. And so it's to, to explore for ourselves to become aware we, this is going on and then to look at the different aspect of it or possibly the way I can be with it or just know at some point it will stop but right now it's really kind of a shock to the system and it has to go through it. There is also that aspect of it, just being aware of that, that one has to be patient with it also. Environment. <laughs> but it, it, no, no, no. I mean, this is 
also something I, I tried, but actually I tried the opposite. I tried with, uh, uh, with cherries, you know. Uh, you know, I love cherries. And so I was on a retreat and there was all this talk about Vedana and things like that. And I thought, okay, I'm going to choose, a, because you know, cherries, I feel, oh, I want them. And so I kind of, you know, got the cherry and mm, and then you put it in your mouth. And then the beginning, it's kind of really nice and pleasant and you chew and chew and chew. And then the feeling tone really changed generally from pleasant to neutral. And so generally you don't wait till neutral. You barely finish your cherry, you get another one. So <laughs> pleasant again. But if you chew, 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 you go to neutral and then there is less of that. I want one more, I want one more. So that's interesting. And there is some stuff which when you start it's neutral, but if you chew, 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 it becomes more pleasant. So, so with food, you can, I mean, you can do lots of stuff. I mean, also with, um, you don't, you think, you think it's going to be good. So then you take a lot. And then you have your first taste and it's, it's not what I thought it was. <laughs> and that's very interesting to, to kind of like, like you expect something pleasant, and actually it's not. And, and kind of looking at that, or looking at what uh, Chris was talking about, you know, you, it's pleasant. Nearly, bef you, you start to have the pleasant and nearly just one chew, and you want more already. Instead of, in a way, just enjoying the nice chew. But uh, again, with the unpleasant also, you can, you know, play with it. And, no, exactly. I mean, there is many different things. Uh, I know this is a little on the side of the subject, but what I found, um, there was this program which I really liked to watch because of that. And it's, I don't know if it's on the TV anymore, but it was called Fear Factor. And so they put them lots of difficult things to do and a few uh, people competition to that. And there was one thing which was very interesting. They had water. In it, they had elect electric hills. And so the first person thought this was going to be very painful. So she went in, all, <gasps> and she barely got one or two, and that was that. The next one was more determined, because I think you know, there was quite a lot of money. And she went in, and I'm going to do that. So she went in, and she got quite a lot out. The next one realizing, actually, it was not as painful as that, because the second one did not react very much at all. She went in, and she stayed a lot longer. And it, so it was very interesting to see that the feeling tone depended on many different things, expectation, seeing what the other person does, and many different things like that. So we can notice. I mean, one I do with my friend, I know, I should not do it, is that I, uh, I love the chewy uh, Korean rice cakes. I don't know if you have ever experienced them. But it's, it's kind of just, you know, rice pounded with a little of uh, uh, bean flour around it. 
And so whenever I see someone, I get very excited. Oh, great, you know, you know. And so they think it's going to be very pleasant. Well, I'm very excited about it. <laughs> so I take one, I chomp chomp happily on it, and I say very generously, do you want to try? <laughs> and so they say, sure, we want to try. So I give them in the face, amen. <laughs> How can she find this pleasant? How can anybody find this pleasant? So, so there is many different things we can do, yes. <laughs> Stephen got me recently, my husband. Naughty, naughty. <laughs> we were in a restaurant and he said there was this you know, fig jam which went with the, uh, with the cheese. And he looked very excited about it, like, mm, this is amazing. So I thought, okay, you know, fig jam, I'll try it. Ah, <gasps> it was fig jam with mustard. <laughs> but like, I never had this experience before. It was, like, it was like you had a bomb in your mouth. <laughs> and the feeling tone were just. <laughs> but he really had me there, I must say, because he was. <laughs> Okay, so maybe we'll uh, stop here, and then there is some uh, walking meditation or rest, and then we finish at night with the final sitting. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.